Welcome to the Pet Industry Podcast, connecting you with the people behind the passion, the leading experts in the pet industry. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Sprinkle. And I'm your other host, Dr. Mary Cope. Welcome to the Pet Industry Podcast. This episode is a great example of how we want to take you behind the scenes of the pet industry. Whether you work in the pet industry or someone who is maybe a pet owner and really wants to understand what goes on back here, this is a great episode. This was a conversation we recorded at the Global Pet Expo in March of 2023. We sat down with our BSM partners, founders, Nate and Seth, from our very first episode, and two other very influential men in the pet industry, Al Pantillo, who is the CEO at Mud Bay, an independent pet retail chain in the Pacific Northwest, and Todd Dittman, the executive director of IndiePet, an association that supports independent pet retailers. For some context, the term DCM is mentioned in this episode a couple of times. That stands for dilated cardiomyopathy. They're referring to a pretty hot topic of a particular type of heart failure in dogs. And stay tuned, there will be more on that topic coming in future episodes. But in this episode, you'll hear more about the unique features of independent pet retail stores and behind the scenes of the business behind this particular part of the pet industry. We talk about sustainability and relationships between veterinarians, breeders, and the pet stores. This episode is one not to miss. Please make sure to click on that follow so you don't miss out on more episodes. On to the conversation. Hey, gentlemen, welcome. We are at Global Pets Expo, so very excited to be here. It's personally my first time being here at Global, and we're excited to be able to sit down and talk with you. I think it's a great place to start, if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about your role with IndiePet and a little bit about what IndiePet is. Great. Thanks for having us. Oh, <laughs> my name's Todd Dittman. I'm the executive director of IndiePet, and IndiePet is a, an association built for retailers, for its independent retailers, to give them the resources to improve the consumer experience and uh, really bring out the awareness of what an independent store offers that you can't get at a mass or online sales. So that's why we exist. And I'm Al Pantillo. I'm co-CEO at Mud Bay. We're a pet retailer in the Pacific Northwest. And I'm also IndiePet's current board president. So how did you find your way into the IndiePet organization? That's a great story, actually. We, when I say we, there was a group of about 45 retailers that started getting together about six or seven years ago. Actually, our first meeting was right here at Global Pet Expo because that's when everybody's in town. And we just reserved a room. And the idea was, hey, let's share ideas. Let's talk about ways that we can help each other by sharing of information. And at the time, one of the central topics was really around the emergence of Amazon and Chewy and the Wild West that was going on with pricing management and lack of enforcement on map pricing and all sorts of stuff. So we were sharing lots of stories. It was a little disorganized, but we were sharing information on merchandising, sharing information on all the best practices that you need to do when you're a retailer, recruiting, hiring. And that went on for three or four years. We'd meet twice a year at each of the trade shows, once at Global and then once at SuperZoo. And about the fourth year, we were like, just took a hand vote. Like, should we try to turn this into something more formal? Should we make this an association Should we actually have a seat at the table in the most important conversations that are going on 
in addition to sharing great information. At the time, we were just in the middle of DCM. And we were all like, now, wait a minute. DCM is affecting all of us dramatically. We all feel like we have great expertise in the nutrition with the help of our partners like BSM, like others, helping us really educate the consumer on what's really going on. Yet, this is all happening around us and we have no seat at the table. We don't have an opportunity to talk to anybody really in the pet industry as an organized group. We don't have the ability to talk to the FDA. And so everybody raised their hand and said, yeah, let's do the research. Let's find out what we need to do to actually incorporate and stand up as a nonprofit trade association. And so it took us about another year and a half to do that in the steering committee. And in 2020, we incorporated as a, as a nonprofit. So. Now, can you explain a little bit about why Chewy and Amazon are a threat to independent pet retailers and why banding together helped strengthen you all? Yeah, I mean, there's the there's the obvious, right? It's super convenient. They have created the part you have to give them props for. They have been disruptive. That's what really great new business ventures do. They bring something new to the table that is disruptive. And Independent Pet has not been ready to keep up with that. The part that they have brought isn't on necessarily the nutrition or the solution or the education side. It's on the convenience side. And when you marry convenience to the willingness to lose money for a long time, because these large entities can forward invest, whether it's through free shipping, whether it's through promos, whether it's through whatever, there's a large sucking sound created. And luckily, the independent retailers, although we have felt some of this, our customer base has been much more resilient than others. I think if you look at Petco and PetSmart and other parts of the Pet Specialty channel, a lot of the customers that have come to Amazon and Chewy have come from them. We've lost our fair share as well. But that's a big reason why we're not just in the things we're trying to build and share and motivate independent retailers to do. A lot of it is just to say, hey, you can't just rely on your great customer experience. We're pushing ourselves to make sure we're best in class in e-commerce. We're best in class in education to make sure that we can keep up with Amazon and Chewy. So the question that I have is, what do you see is your most important thing that you give the consumer? What are what experience are you curating for the consumer when they come into your independent retail outlets, into your stores? What are they looking for? What do you give them that they can't get online? I think there's two really important things. Number one is if we're all doing it, we're giving fantastic connection, right? We actually are building a long-term relationship with that customer where we know who they are, we can help them with their needs, and they have somebody in a fun place where they have an experience when they come into the store. It's not just coming in to pick up a product. You actually are connecting with a customer. So I think we give them connection. But the second and or maybe equally important thing is you have to be able to provide solutions. You have to be able to take specific information about that pet and actually synthesize it and give them consistent recommendations back on things that are going to work to improve the health and happiness of their pet. And the retailers who do that, you develop, we have customers at Mudbay, we've been in business nearly 35 years. We have customers that have been with us for 35 years, 10, 15 pets later, because we have been so consistent in giving them that kind of solution-based recommendation. And then, you know, another piece of the association is the service industry. In the service industry, you can't do via online grooming or nail clipping or whatever it might be. Those folks are a big part of the association as well, and they add to the customer experience. They add to the, the pet experience in total. So that's another one that it, it, you can't do online. <laughs> that's a really great point, Todd, because Mud Bay is in our infancy of services. 
but we see it as this huge thing that independent retailers can do better than others have done. We can do grooming better. We can do daycare better. We can do these other services because of our knowledge of the customer, because our attention to detail. We just need to make sure we're all pushing ourselves to do it. And you can see great examples of this all over the nation where independent retailers, the new wave of independent retailers coming up are doing this right from the beginning. They're opening up their new stores with these additional services in it and taking advantage of that whole customer experience. One of the things that I was interested in when I was looking up IndiePet and reading some of the articles on the blog is the fact that you're an organization that brings people who potentially might have some competition. So I'm curious, how do you work past this very potentially competitive nature of business? And how are you able to bring people together for kind of this bigger goal? It's a great question. And I don't know that we've cracked the code on it yet. I know the group that we have currently, the retailers who are currently in it, the minute you get in and you see the vibe and you start coming to the meetings or you attend our indie chats or you do any of these other things, you suddenly start to realize, oh my gosh, we're all talking the same language and most of the stuff we're sharing is not secret sauce. We just had an email going around with a bunch of the board. We have this really great engaged board for IndiePet of everything from one-store retailers to four-store to multi-unit. And we were all sending an email back and forth to each other. Someone asked, I'm getting a lot of write-offs in dated product in my store. I've just seen that kind of go up. I've been trying to expand my offering, but I'm having problems with keeping product rotated and stuff. And all of a sudden, emails is coming back like, hey, here's how we do that. Here's Is that really secret sauce? Does anybody... What, is there any reason we shouldn't all share best practice on that? I've got one of the board members is right in my own Seattle market. But if it helps that independent retailer save thousands of dollars a year and give fresher food for pet parents, that just makes our channel look good. And that's really what we're all in it for. If you look at the amount of market share that indie pet retailers represent, we're only about 10 or 11% of all pet supplies sold in the US, right? And so... We need to focus less on competing with each other and more on the other 90% that's out there for us to grow. You talked about something a little earlier that I want to come back to because I think it's, it, for us, it aligns well with our values and it's this connectedness thing. We're not a transactional company. We don't want to do transactional work. We want to be connected with the people that we work with because we want to, we want to have love for everyone and everything that we do. It's the best way to live your life, at least from our perspective. How do you foster that connectedness so that your people in your in all the retail stores can actually connect with the consumer? Is that a skill? Is there a training that you go to? Do you just pick that up when you hire people? How do you teach that? How do you make that happen? Because that's I think that's the most important aspect of independent retail, regardless of what you're buying. I mean, it's an old cliche, but I think you need to hire for attitude, train for skill, right? So you have to be looking for people. You have to be hiring folks who have a love of pets and a love of people. You've got to have both of those things. And when you get that, then you just need a systematic approach to how do you introduce them to have these conversations and how do you put that into a system that allows them to absorb it? Because it's really intimidating for a new staff member to come in and be, they're getting hit with all sorts of questions from a customer coming to the door. And a lot of these customers who've done a bunch of research online and they have all these hypotheses that may or may not be true. And so teaching our staff 
hey, we're going to take you systematically through the foundation of nutrition, through the foundation of the solutions we provide. But it's okay to say, I don't know, and find a staff member who actually does know or who can help you or to call our customer support line and figure that out. So giving them the, I guess, the support and the nudge that it's okay not to know and we're going to get you to a point where you have all those answers. And it's a big reason why IndyPet, and you could talk a little bit about that, Todd, that we're, we're investing really heavily in a unified education platform. There's some really good ones out there. There's PetStore Pro and some others. We're actually in a partnership with FetchFind right. in development right now. Right. And, and what they're doing is a, an approach that really mo- motivates the staff to take the training easily. It's a gamification of training and giving them the basics that they need to know, ranging from how to converse with a customer to how to deal with a dog. It's all from A to Z training platform for the management and staff. So it's good. Put a mark right here. I'm going to ask a question we may not want to keep in, but I still want to answer it. All right. How do you feel that services like Dog Food Advisor and some of those online recommender or rating systems actually help or hurt the independent pet? I'm not a fan. Personally, everyone is welcome to their own opinion, and I've seen good recommendations or things I agreed with on those sites, but I have never seen one that I felt was as neutral and unslanted as third party as I wanted. So we really, and this is just myself with my Mudbay hat on, talking more than my Indie Pet hat on, we truly try to look at the needs of the customer, look at the needs of the pet match that to the offering in the store. If we don't have something, we'll recommend they talk to someone else, another retailer, another veterinarian, something else if we don't feel it matches. And I don't feel like you always get that transparency on some of these outside recommenders. How can you just recommend when you can't match to the pet? What what, What are your thoughts on that from a trade association perspective? From the trade association perspective, we're focused on enhancing the customer experience, right? You can only do that in the store, I think. And from the association's perspective, I can only supply the tools to help them do that. So that's where we are. <laughs> no, I think that's really great. I, I don't know what the statistic is right now, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to try to give it, but somewhere in the top five influencers or people who are most influential to the pet consumer lives the independent retail associate. Those people have a pretty big task of delivering really complex information to to the consumer. How do you really do that outside of the education? What is a good, what's the, what's the best practice process that you might follow to do those things? To deliver a consistent recommendation? Yeah, to deliver consistent recommendations so that you're not losing out rec- as a top recommender. Because frankly, from my perspective, that's really where the win is. I think it comes back to some of the things that I know we've talked about as IndyPed, we've talked about with BSM, you know, in the past is there are the conversations that happen in store that I think a customer can immediately know whether you're full of crap or not based on the way you are talking about nutrition, right? So there's an instant amount of credibility you get if you have well-trained staff that you just see in a customer's eyes like immediately, oh, I'm not being sold. I'm actually having a discussion about my pet and they are giving me a list of options here. So there's instant credibility. But I think larger than that for the whole channel what IndyPet hopes to achieve with a bunch of our partners is we want to bring brand awareness to the fact that we are experts at this and try to raise the overall credibility before the customer even comes in the store. 
Because a lot of the information I have seen says primary credibility still comes from veterinary recommendation, still comes from breeder recommendation, and still comes from outside sources that they're finding on their own on the internet. And a lot of times I think independent pet retailers are seen as boutique. They're seen as not nutritional experts. They're seen as selling a specific brand because it's more profitable for them. And I just, I know there are retailers out there like that, but I don't think that is the majority of the great retailers represented in the independent channel. They have, uh, most of them have been in the industry a long time. They stay away from trendy things. They research products before they bring them in and they try to educate their staffs really well. I think that's a great point in the sense that I view an independent retail store as almost a curated library. It's a curated library of the brands and the products that the retailer thinks best fit the consumer's needs. But in some regards, or in many regards, an independent retailer is really agnostic to what is best for the pet. The other advantage that I see in the relationship that independent pet stores are able to foster is as compared to a veterinary appointment. When you have a vet meeting with a pet and a pet parent for a very short window of time, they're really under a lot of pressure, as human doctors are, to really get in, make an assessment, and move on to the next appointment that may be just a few minutes behind. So you really have an opportunity to engage with a consumer to really dig into the specific needs of that pet in a non-time-constrained manner, in a way that I would imagine most, if not all, veterinarians want to, but the dynamics of their world don't necessarily allow that. And to me, that unconstrained time allows you to dig in because a lot of times, as we all know, as you find things on the internet, the first thing you find may is most likely not the right thing. And it can be very hard to distinguish that as a consumer with a non-technical background. And so from our perspective, we really feel that where independent pet stores sit and Indie Pet specifically is really at the nexus of that curation, that librarian and the lack of constraint to make the best recommendation for the pet. That's why we think there's a lot of power in the channel. But I think there's even more consistency we could share and bring to the table about how to have those conversations. I think all of us, once again, you start to get into what can we share, what's really secret sauce for our businesses, but having a consistent conversation and what you really need to ask about the pet and then trying to give people the visibility on which categories you put those solutions of pet food in to be that librarian like you're talking about, Seth. That is something that if we want to continue to see our channel thrive, we have to have as a core competency, not just at some stores, but at all stores. And that may help one of my competitors in my local market. And I am totally fine with that <laughs> because we are all stronger when our channel all together is stronger. Yeah, the experience you were talking about brings in the consumer to the segment and then we're not competing against each other yeah you use the example the one time that if we lose a customer to we're not we're losing them to my competitor in the segment we're not losing them to online sales that that's circles back to how we can share amongst ourselves best practices because we know that we're bringing new customers into the segment and we're going to keep them in the segment let's talk a little bit about the uh, the trade organization right in terms of what are you offering to, how are you, what are you doing for people to want to join you? 
Let's spend a little bit of time talking about that because I think that from my standpoint, it's some of the magic of what you guys have been able to create here. Retailers are so busy, right? So they, especially the single owners, they'll work from six in the morning till they close the doors at night. So we, we're trying to make insights, education, operations, resources for them so they don't have to spend their second day trying to run a business. So we're trying to support them in the certain elements of their operations that they would have to otherwise invest in. And we're trying to unite all these single voices into one stronger voice. We're also trying to, on the flip side, with the associate members, the manufacturers of the segment, we're trying to give them a platform to connect with these folks as well as keep innovation going through through independence because innovation doesn't happen in online sales or once, once you hit the masses. So we're trying to offer more time, more efficiency, more resources to those who just didn't have a resource before. There's a few marquee programs that we've been working on for well over a year that are this year going to come to fruition that we're really excited about. This bubbled up from surveys and from board members and from the advisory panel that we put together. One of them we talked about earlier, which is the unified education platform that should just make ramping up new employees easier, make it more uh, enjoyable for those employees and have a better outcome. The other one is we're going to start publishing here very soon our first ever IndiePet price integrity scorecard for brands, which will actually take the top two selling items for the top 50 pet food brands and show hey, how well are they doing at managing their pricing? Are they, the, most of these brands have published pricing guidelines and are they actually adhering to those? Are they forcing people to adhere to those? How many violations have they had? How many unregulated sellers do they have out there in the market? We're going to start publishing that information so that everybody can see it. And hopefully it'll be an eye opener for both manufacturers and retailers. There might be some retailers who show up on the list who like, oh, I need to clean up my pricing. There might be some manufacturers who say that. So I think that's going to provide a lot of value that you get if you're a member, whether you're an associate member or a retail member. And then the other really exciting thing that's that's coming is we're working on a unified product information tool. So our channel is still woefully behind in competing in e-commerce. Even some of the best retailers out there will tell you probably doing a maximum of 30% of my total business from the store is in delivery or in e-commerce. And the projections over the next four or five years is that there's going to be 50% of the total pet food and supplies in the U.S. sold through e-commerce. So we all need to be keeping pace with that if we don't want to lose customers. But it's really hard to keep your e-commerce site up to date with the most current information, with current photos, with current verbiage. People have to spend hours going back to manufacturers, going to all these folks to get it. We're actually building a central repository for all of that information where people can log in if you're an IndyPet member and get that information for free. That's actually pretty cool. I like the sound of that. I think anytime we can create metrics to try to understand the world around us, it, we're going to benefit, but the consumer ultimately benefits from that. Yeah, one of, one, of the first, one of the very first promises that we made to the retailers w- was an awareness. We want to work oh, yeah. on their awareness. And we're, well, this we're, is, yeah, that's one of our biggest programs. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, <laughs> and we're introducing this year a neighborhood pet store day in September where we're going to have all of our members offering local store marketing, festivities, whatever they want to do. All of our associate members will be contributing special offers, special deals for either the day or that week. Very flexible. And it's just going to be a day to celebrate the experience you get by going to an independent store rather than however else you want to purchase your products. But this is 
really an awareness builder and we're going to put a lot of effort behind it and try to make this into an annual thing. Yeah, it's really cool. It'll start small, but it has big potential. You think of Amex Shop Small Saturday. We want to do something similar that really promotes and highlights the value you get when you shop, not just independent. Independent is definitely a feel good, but just what we were talking about earlier, the expertise, the value, the brands, the things that are available at independent that aren't available in all these other places. And this year we'll get our fee web, we'll build marketing uh, campaigns around it. We'll have some content that retailers and manufacturers can push out to get awareness. But in future years, I think the potential for this to really actually make a large national advertising push is going to be something that you'll act, retailers will actually go, oh, I actually scored a bunch of new customers over this week, this weekend. What are some challenges that you all see in the industry and what is IndiePet's role in helping to combat or fix some of those challenges? One of the challenges I see is misinformation that um, there, there's a misconception that, you know, because of all of the media power that online sales folks can put behind or Amazon or the mass, they seem to produce an image of being the expert and being the knowledge leader. And that's just not the case. So I think that's certainly one of the dangers that we have. And one of the ways that we can help fix it is just bringing awareness and helping tell the story of the independent retailer. Let me jump off of that, Todd, because I think that's a great point. I think another challenge is that there's a built-in perception that online is cheaper. And I think there are two elements to why that's untrue. And Al, you touched on one, which is when manufacturers have great map programs to maintain pricing, you have price neutrality across channels. The other part is, and Al, you also touched on this, Chewy is not necessarily any longer willing to lose huge sums of money such that the subsidy that was going around shipping direct to consumer has really gone away. And actually, if consumers are savvy, they'll find that the prices that they're oftentimes paying on Amazon that really start have started to reflect the accurate logistics costs, there really isn't a price gap anywhere near where there was perhaps three, four, five years ago. I think that there were some habits that we all know we built in during COVID, but I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we see for indie pet and independent pet stores generally is that the costs of logistics is properly priced into, let alone as you start to look at it from a sustainability perspective, it's a really different dynamic. And so when, to, to our mind, when you start to look at the overlap between pet consumers, consumers concerned about the environment, demographic changes, there's a huge impact that it can be made. It's correcting some of that misperception, if you will, that we all as consumers had during the COVID years. Yeah. One of the one of the things that I want to riff on what Seth said, and I really want Megan and Mary to jump back in here with some questions because they're, they have better questions than we do. But I do want to come back to this, which is sustainability. I don't know if there are any st- statistics on this, but there's this greenwashing of America happening right now where we're all chasing sustainability, and a lot of what we're doing is not sustainable. And I'll give you an example. I don't know if this is true. I'd see if you guys would care to comment on it and maybe – ask anyone else on the in this to, to weigh in on it. Is it more sustainable for me to go to a retailer and buy the retail material or is it more sustainable for me to have 15, 30 UPS trucks show up at my house every single day? Where's, the, where's my sustainability going to happen? So we put a lot of stock as consumers 
into the sustainability that companies provide, but we actually don't care about it from a consumer perspective as it's modeled by our behavior. We're not buying that way because back to your point, give me convenience or give me death. It's a difficult, the math gets super fuzzy. We're partnered with Pet Sustainability Coalition. IndyPet is a partner with them. Mudbay is partnered with them as well. <clears throat> and we're, uh, Mudbay is an, an accredited retailer through them. And we don't know the answers to all those things. What we know is it's a continuum, right? And so as a business, now I'm not sure as a consumer where that impact really lies. There definitely is some greenwashing. But as a business, what we've done through the accreditation process is just go, hey, this is where we're at, best we can tell. This is how we currently run our business. What can we do to make incremental improvements to get better? What is What are some, could we lower thermostats just a little bit? Could we make sure we're recycling more out of our stores? What other things can we do to be an environmentally sustainable? And then there's the other side of sustainability, which is being civically sustainable, making sure that you're treating all stakeholders equally, all that sort of stuff. There's all these different parts to it, but that's a great question. I don't know... It is a motivating force, but I think when it comes to the average consumer, it's less about the transportation and am I coming back? They're looking at it through the lens of product most of the time. What is the sourcing on the product? What is the packaging on the product? That is where most of our consumers' mind go when they talk about sustainability. So we look for the sustainability in the products, but not in our own lives. What do you guys think? About sustainability? Yeah, about about the impact of all of this buying this e-commerce and what does it do from a sustainability perspective i'm curious about that people buying all the ingredients that they need for dinner and all the packaging showing up on their door and more trash and more packaging and more energy and more what does that look like what is that what do you think i personally and i do not have any data to back this up <laughs> think that it may at the end of the day be toss up because you either have every individual driving to and from a store to go get it or you have a delivery vehicle driving. It's like the school bus. Is it more sustainable to have a school bus go around and pick up every single kid or to have parents drive their kid to school? A lot depends on how far is the school from their house. I How many kids? Could you only have one kid? Are they taking four kids? Like at the end of the day, I don't know that in particular is going to be that big of a difference as far as sustainability goes, especially because it's not like the ingredients show up at the grocery store unpackaged. They're still going to be in some sort of packaging there at the grocery store. I do think that sourcing, though, with Indie Pet trying to get a lot of ingredients that are more local, as in at least on the continent, instead of shipping a lot of raw materials in from across the globe, I think that is going to play a much larger role in the, sustain- in the sustainability of products than whether the consumer is driving directly to the store or having a product shipped to their house. I think that actually there is an advantage in any retailer, not specific to IndiePet, as compared to e-commerce. Because when you look at how products are packaged from a manufacturer to and then ultimately get to a consumer, when you go through the Amazon Chewy online there's a lot of secondary packaging that gets introduced, whether that's cardboard boxes, whether that's bubble wrap, whether there's all kinds of things that if you go through a traditional retail distribution model, you don't have that. And I think while we have a mindset that in many communities we do have fairly aggressive recycling programs, many communities do not at all. 
But even those that do, we have to ask the question on how sustainable is it of those recycling streams? How much of that is really actually just going into the trash? So we have a feel-good element related to recycling the cardboard box from Amazon that that product came to us in. But in reality, when we put it in the recycling bin, what happens to it after that? So I think and that piece alone, there's a huge aspect of a more sustainable through a traditional retail distribution model than through an online product distribution model because of the secondary packaging. If you look at how product leaves a manufacturer, if it's a bag of dog food, a lot of times it's a pallet of bags with stretch wrap, right? And that pallet gets reused. The stretch wrap may or may not. But when you ship that to an individual consumer, that pallet gets broken down. It gets put into a box. There's packaging material. It gets taped up. And then it goes on a separate truck. So even if we separate the transportation elements of it, the secondary packaging to me is a big waste from a sustainability and cost structure perspective. Not to mention, but... um... I can't assume that you're going to build a good relationship with your mail carrier if you continually are ordering 50 plus pound boxes for them to haul. Just another benefit mail carriers to going walking to around giant Popeye arms. <laughs> I, through my education with Pete Pet Sustainability Coalition, they, it, they view it differently than I ever did. And that is from the perspective of if you're in the middle here, you look to sustainable supply chain. And you look to sustain, sustainable operations and you look to sustainable transportation to the consumer. It's more than I've thought about before. So some of the guidelines that, that we offer our members, just you, you didn't even think about before. And is an expert at the guidelines because Mud Bay does it really the model should be followed by you guys. And we're still in the beginning of our journey on it, but we see the opportunity. And if folks are interested, they can go to... to the IndyPet website and they can check out the guidelines we put together with Pet Sustainability Coalition. Because Pet Sustainability Coalition, we can see it, we see us being this communication conduit to independent retailers. Like there's all these ideas that we're talking about around sustainability. How do I actually make them actionable in my store? And how do I actually connect customers to what I'm doing? How do I connect my staff? Because it's a huge staff retention piece too. Staff members love to know that their companies are vested in doing in sustainable practices. So we spent a bunch of time with Pet Sustainability working on this approach to retail. And I think there's you're going to see a bunch more from us in the future sharing the things that come out of retailers that they're doing to get people excited. I guess it doesn't have to be an either or kind of thing. Those who have done it successfully have done it profitably. It doesn't have to be a big investment. It just is a different way to doing things. And then while we still have Seth here, would you mind sharing the story between how BSM and IndyPet got connected and the relationship that was built there between the two companies? From an IndyPet side, the reason, even before we were incorporated and actually had an organization, we were reaching out and trying to partner with BSM is because what the customer wants and what the pets need is technical expertise. And yeah, there's been a lot of us around the industry for a long time who have gathered enough knowledge inside of our organizations, but something like DCM comes up and we were able to turn to you guys. You're doing all this research. You're helping us understand what's going on. You're helping us keep up with that. That type of resource on the spot as things are evolving, as pet nutrition is evolving, we're full-time running businesses. We're full-time focusing on being a retailer. We're not focused on being full-time researchers and scientists. You guys are. So you guys are what can make pet specialty continue to have that advantage it's just a critical piece of what we think we can bring. We, 
there's no one else in the industry we could reach out to to get that kind of expertise. One of the unique things that I like about the pet industry is that there is there's something special about pets where we're just really passionate about what we do. And there's just like this good goodness that comes out. And I'm a pet owner. I'm also or pet parent. I'm also a veterinarian and a veterinary nutritionist. I've already mentioned how I love this collaborative nature. But you also mentioned something a little while back about this challenge of reputation of Indie Pet being boutique and not having the expertise and just that friction between a lot of different players and the life of the pet. And it can be extremely confusing for pet parents. I would love to hear your perspective. How can we build better relationships with veterinarians, with breeders. You mentioned breeders as well. How, and I think the Indie Pet is uniquely positioned that you are a, built on relationships. So is there anything that you've thought about on how we can better like this strong collaborative ecosystem for the pet and the pet owner? It's a huge opportunity. It's not something we've turned our sights with Indie Pet to try to tackle yet. But I know a bunch of us in the retail world and a bunch of manufacturers have been working for a long time to try to build these relationships. And the truth is they are happening, right? Particularly after in the last five or 10 years, you start to look at the number of veterinarians out there who have evolved their thinking on nutrition and who are starting to understand that there's a lot more to well-rounded nutrition than maybe what they were just educated on. In at veterinary school. And also manufacturers have invested real money in trying to make resources available in a much better way that allow veterinarians to actually understand and have courses and lectures and continuing education and all the things that they're really asking for to be able to up their game on this. And so we're seeing more and more like-minded veterinarians all the time. It wasn't that long ago, seven, eight years ago, when I'd say the majority of veterinarians in our market were just absolutely anti-raw. And that's changed dramatically in the last seven or eight years. They're, I'd say, now at least neutral. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying people have flipped over, but it's much better than it was. And I think there's a ton more we can do there. But it also takes prompting from what where I think IndyPet could play a role is an approach for retailers to follow to build good partnerships with veterinarians in their communities. Because there's definitely a playbook. There are ways to do it wrong. Number one, you have to know where the boundaries are when you should not recommend. Where, oh, I'm getting into an area of a customer solution that is requires veterinary expertise. I need to teach my staff. No, that's a, this symptom that they're telling, they're talking about, you need to refer to veterinarian. We need to be really clear. We can help, I think, retailers do that really well so they're not stepping on the toes of veterinarians. And in return, I think, veterinarians can respond by taking the education we put out there, trying to learn that sort of stuff. So it's a slippery slope. It is. So thank you for trying to address that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the great things, Megan, you touched about this earlier, is that virtually everyone in the pet care industry cares about pets first and foremost. And I think assuming positive intent sometimes gets lost. And now you've touched on that in terms of you don't worry about competing with other independent pet stores. I don't think that indie pet or independent pet stores need to worry about. We know veterinarians get into it because they care about pets. I think the challenge becomes not just assuming positive intent, but how do we put that into practice 
so that we understand there are places to Al's point that really require a truly medic medicinal or medical solution. Whereas similarly, it's not plausible for a vet clinic to stock anywhere near the range of foods. So the answer to all nutritional problems is not necessarily what a vet clinic might have in stock. It may be an opportunity to look to independent pet to find a broader selection. And that's where I think there are huge opportunities because it, everybody wants the same thing, which is a better life for pets, right? That's why we're in this business first and foremost. So I think there are easy ways, easy to say, hard to do <laughs> regarding building those bridges. But I think when you start from the mindset that everybody wants the same thing and understand that there are specialties that each group has, there's a lot of positive overlap. Is there anything oh. specific you want to say? And then secondarily, what would you tell people that want to get involved with IndyPet, both from a retailer perspective, from a community perspective, from a vendor supplier perspective? What, can, what kind of support can you use and how does somebody go about getting that support to you? The whole mission is to bring awareness to the category. And again, I think the the manufacturers understand the importance of it, as, as you so eloquently put it, the importance of this segment to them in product innovation and in just overall information and service for the retailers to give them a united, unified voice in what they're facing. I think the best thing that, that the association offers to a retailer is a family, is a network, is a shared challenge. So our retailers can get so much from each other through our own network. And then for the consumer, it's just trying to provide that enhanced experience. So I think there's something very important for every segment of the channel, if you will, to keep focused on that, that independent experience. I think for both retailers and manufacturers, just get involved in the conversation, right? We're right now still at that developmental stage where we are coming out with really cool programs that are going to provide a bunch of value and be really useful to both manufacturers and retailers. But the most important thing right now is just join. If you're an independent retailer, it's $50 per store, right? It's per year, really inexpensive. Manufacturer pricing is based on the size of manufacturer. So you don't just have to be a big guy to play in it. But once you do that, be a part of the conversation. We have advisory panels. We have committee work going on. We have all sorts of different ways for you to give your feedback and help to improve all the programs that we're building and just share best practices that everyone is working on. And I guess that's what gets me the most excited is when I get on these calls, whether it's our board meetings, whether it's indie chats, whether it's advisory panel calls, and this great dialogue with hundreds of years worth of experience from all these people who have been doing either retail or manufacturing, sharing this stuff, that instantaneously is worth the price of admission. We are getting close to the end and we always like to wrap up knowing more about your personal pets. So we have not mentioned them yet. So do you mind sharing if you have pets? I have a rescue blackmouth cur. He's about four years old and uh, he's the most gentle thing uh, around people but we got to watch him around other dogs, <laughs> but he's great. No, he's a good dog. I have an eight year old Portuguese water dog named Ella Fitzgerald Puntillo. <laughs> and uh, Ella Fitzgerald, because she's a singer, she really loves to 
if, if people know Portuguese water dogs, they're very mouthy and talky. And she's a human rug. She, she's very human and just lays around the house. So. Nice. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Industry Podcast, a BSM Partners production with editing by Cliff Dubinois. Your podcast team is me, Dr. Megan Sprinkle, and Whitney Russell. If you want to learn more about our family at BSM, please visit our website at bsmpartners.net. And please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, tell a friend, and find us here next time.